right, come on in if you will. Oh, that's the first one you're playing. Okay, all right. All right, get yourself a blue hymnal if you will. We should do a couple practice amens here. There you go. You guys can help me out here. All right. I knew we might be thin tonight, so we are. All right, number 254 in the blue hymnal. 
Praise the Lord. Brother Allen, if you would, open us in prayer, please. Amen. Please do be seated. All right, we're going to turn to 279. 
Okay, I'll get it figured out here. All right. Here we go, second verse. Here we go. rotating and we'll try to do that again after the service but do remember next week is a, a fellowship Sunday <coughs> excuse me and a chili cook-off theme and so please do come prepared for that let's enjoy a good time of fellowship together in the Lord's house then do be in prayer for brother Jeff Hastings going to be here in two weeks and I'm looking forward to that so please do be in prayer for that and uh, brother Wade if you would ask the Lord's blessing please here in the Father, Pray that you be with Pastor as he delivers his message, Lord. We uh, pray for all those who couldn't be with us tonight, Lord. Just uh, be with them this evening. Yes. And uh, Lord, we pray for uh, Clarence, Lord. Just, yes. Don't feel him, Lord. I know uh, he wants to be here with us, Lord. We just uh, pray for this nation, Lord, and we'll pray for Israel. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. 
done, Nia. Very good. All right. Well, we are few in number here tonight, but I will tell you this. I know, I know for a fact that there's no doubt uh, people watching, and uh, many people have been traveling today, so we pray for them, pray for their safety. Um, <clears throat> I know this because this last week we were trying to fix the screens and everything, and in doing that, we had to check to make sure everything was still working, one of which was the microphones. And uh, so we had to do a test over the Internet, and, and we're doing me standing up front going testing, testing, te and some of you were watching. <laughs> and so I, apparently you must have a link that just per tells you, hey, they're doing something there. And, and we had four people watching. You, you were one of them, Alan. Were you watching? Was it you? No? I, I thought. <laughs> but they were four, there were four people watching. And uh, anyhow, I want us to go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. I'm only going to preach two whole chapters tonight. There you go. <laughs> See, that man understands. There you go. <laughs> and uh, I've already said this, but anybody that thinks they fully understand prophecy, probably fooling themselves. I will tell you this, I think that you can go to the scriptures, I think you can gain some understanding, you can see some insights. It is very difficult, though, to take and to point at things and say, this is this and this is that, okay? And so in the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking on Sunday night and then also Wednesday night, just because, uh, I've been doing this just because of, excuse me, the, it, it, the immediacy of what we're going through historically. And I will show you some things, what Israel thinks of it here in just a moment, Okay. But uh, we saw that uh, God has been assembling the nation of Israel from the four winds. We talked about that. Uh, we've seen that happen even in less than the last hundred years. I guess it's been, what, the last 80 now? 80, 78 years? And, uh, and so in the last 78 years, if you want to be exact, uh, we, have, we have seen God slowly but surely bringing ultimately all of the Israelites back. One of the things I didn't look at last week in in Ezekiel 37, was it talks about they're going to have the two bands come together, meaning this, there's no longer going to be a Judah and an Israel. They're going to come together, and they're just going to be all Israel. And we've seen that. I didn't want to go into that, but that is one thing. You can read it, and it's just right there. And so God has, uh, from the four winds, brought all Israel back together. And uh, literally, the only thing that they're needing is, is a high priest to make a sacrifice and, and to the, have the temple going again. And and in very many ways, they're there. Now, we also know this. There's no way that's going to happen. Not, not without some war happening. Okay, why? Well, how many of y'all have ever heard of the Dome of the Rock? And it hadn't happened recently because when it does happen, it really causes a problem. But if you will, um, the Dome of the Rock, if you will, is the third holiest place for Muslims. And it's right there where a lot of people believe the Holy of Holies is for them to take and to build the temple. Now, I don't believe that, but it's close enough it's going to cause a problem. And it seems to me it was about 10 years ago that some priests got in their mind to take and put a foundation stone for the temple. And they started carrying it up the steps to lay it. And, uh, of course, the Muslims had a fit. And uh, they had to take and to retract and they had to retreat. But folks, this is the mindset of the nation of Israel right now. They understand that Ezekiel 36 and 37 is being fulfilled. We're seeing that, okay? But you remember one of the problems was, is they're going to look like a nation. They're going to look like a people, though today it's kind of disjointed. 
They're, they don't have the Gaza Strip, and they don't have the Golan Heights, at least full control. And um, uh, I say the Golan Heights, but there's also, a, boy, help me now. Thank you. The West Bank. Um, uh, the West Bank, folks, is uh, still under Muslim control. It's been given wholly under to Muslim control. That's one reason that uh, if you try to visit Israel, it's very difficult, if not impossible. I don't know if it's impossible, so I don't want to say this. But it's nearly impossible to visit Bethlehem. Why? Because it's on the West Bank. You can't take and visit those parts of the sites. And, and you know, maybe there's ways around that. But I know it, it can be dangerous and, and different things like that. And so in a sense, they're in the land. But they're not really Israel. They're not sovereign. They're not fully in control. And so what we're seeing is exactly uh, Ezekiel 36 and 37. They're being formed. They're being put together. They're starting to have sinew. They're starting to have flesh. And they just haven't got a heart that they're alive yet. And we talk about that, but what is that? When God breathed the breath of life into Adam, he became a living soul. What is that breath of life? Well, today it would be new life, okay? Because they've already had life at one time. They've lost it. They've died. And now they need new life, if you will. And so they need to be reborn as a nation. When they are reborn as a nation, we've looked at this already, all of them are going to be reborn. There's not going to be any, well, these are saved Israelites, these are unsaved. No, 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 they're all going to be one nation, one tribe, one mind, one king, every man, all, all believers. And we talked about that uh, Wednesday night, about how that that's where that judgment, the, the sheep and the goats, okay? The goats over here on the left, and sheep over here, and sheep, blessed are you, come into my kingdom. Amen? And not only is that going to be Israel, but that's going to be all uh, Gentile believers. Gentiles is just another name for nations. And so all the nations that believe in God, believe in Jesus Christ, they're going in too. Amen. And they're going to live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And what a glorious, listen, what a glorious thousand years it's going to be. Though you might want to remember how it ends. We're going to kind of talk about that here a little bit tonight. Because tonight... We're going to be talking about Gog and Magog. You guys are familiar with Gog and Magog? And if you will, let me just call him Gog, okay? We call it Gog and Magog, but it says Gog from the land of Magog, all right? Now, there's a lot of controversy about what this is and what it means. And to be honest with you, I'm not really wanting to get into the controversy. I'm just going to tell you what some people say. I'll tell you what I believe and, uh, and then uh, uh, leave it there. Why? Well, I don't think you can be dogmatic when it comes to prophecy. I think you can get your mind around it. You can see that the Lord's working, things are being fulfilled, but what exactly is being fulfilled sometimes we don't know. And if you're not familiar with that, keep yourself in Ezekiel 38, because that's where we're going to come back. But go with me, if you will, to um, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is announcing, if you will, who he is. He is the son of man. He is the son of David. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the blessed hope. He is that wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's all those things, is he not? And, uh, and so, if you will, he comes to announce to the nation of Israel, I'm here. Okay? The only problem is, is they've had other people do that in the past. Matter of fact, it, it talks about it later after his death, how that some had raised up and they said that they were the Messiah and they were going to deliver Israel. And the only problem is, 
is they, they thought they were going to do it by their means and by their might, and you're going to see that that's not going to be possible, especially considering the enemy that they're facing. But when Jesus comes, he comes and he reads a scripture, and in Luke chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says this, and the Bible says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet uh, Isaiah. Just because I know it's a technicality. Folks, what kind of book was that? Think about it. Was it this kind of a book? Yeah, these kind of books weren't even invented until, somebody help me here, 1450? Okay, I mean, that's Gutenberg Bible, 1450. Am I getting the date right? Somebody help me? All right, everybody has a homework assignment now. It's either 1450 or 1550. I think it's 1450. And uh, that's when those kind of books came. No, back then they had, they had scrolls. And if you see Jewish temples today, even today, they'll have, it sounds funny to say this. I was, I was at a garage sale this last week, and they had these little green things that had little twisties on them with sharp points. I'm like, what in the world are those? And I can't help but solve a puzzle, you know what I'm saying? So we looked at the garage sale, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought. And as I'm leading, I'm going, corn on the cob. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Well, in a sense, that's what Jewish scrolls look like. They have the two handles that come out the end, and then they'll have a wooden case usually around them. And then you open up the wooden case, and then you would draw out, if you will, the rolled parchment, all right? Back then, the books were made on lambskin or sheepskin. And so it would be skins that were rolled together and that you would have like the Isaiah scroll or the Isaiah roll. And they would take and think about this. When we turn our Bibles, we turn them like this, you know. I mean, you've got to have a real purpose when you're opening one of those scrolls. You roll it out, roll it out, roll it out. <laughs> That's right there. That's the part I need. And, uh, and so Jesus did that. He took and had it rolled out, and then he sat down to read the scripture. That's how they did it there. And, 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 and he took and he read from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Now, don't go there yet. We will. Okay. But notice what he says again <coughs> in uh, chapter 4, verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he had found the place wherein it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me. Okay. By the way, you know, anointed, he is our, our king. Okay. But he's also anointed as Messiah. Okay. And the Bible says here, it says that he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recover the sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, listen, uh, there's a lot there. By the way, they really weren't looking for that. That's the reason that all the messiahs before had a sword in their hand. He's, he's talking about preaching. He's talking about ministering to poor people. He's not talking about conquering the world and defeating the Gentiles. But again, that's, he, he got to choose his text for his announcement, if you will. The Bible says in verse 20, it says, And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. Okay, excuse me, he, he had it read, and then he sat down. And the Bible says, And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Don't, don't lose that word. He had everybody's attention because they knew what that scripture meant. They, they took and they're reading that, and boom, they're just like this. Like, hey, hey what's going on here? Okay, I mean, that's... that's, that's but they had fixed attention, okay, fastened on him. The Bible says he began to say unto them, say it with me, would you? This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This day. Today. 
this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And so what he's saying is nothing yet has to be fulfilled. And so when you look at that scripture, yes, he came here to preach. To pre okay, preach. All right, all right. That's, that's good. Having said that, that's not what they were looking for. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a, a savior, somebody to deliver them from their enemies. And he says he's going to come here to preach and minister to poor people. What? Okay. Well, go with me to Isaiah, if you will. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Now, I said that prophecy can be very difficult. And as I've studied this week, to be quite honest with you, as I'm reading, I'm, I'm seeing things that you're like, yes, that's happening, or okay, I understand that, this applies to that. And then there's other things in there, you're like, whoa, what in the world? Sometimes there's amazing detail, and you're like, I wonder how much I can preach that with authority. And then there's other times you're like, wait a minute, that's in this context? And, and so it's kind of hard to fit the puzzle pieces together. Any of y'all good at puzzles? Yeah, are you? Any of y'all bad at puzzles? Have you ever noticed if you're bad at puzzles that you think a little bit of force might make it fit? <laughs> well, you got to be careful with that, with the Word of God. Don't, don't, don't make something fit where it really doesn't fit. So it's better to say we not know than to say, well, I think it goes here, but I'm not sure yet. Okay? But notice what it says. He, he says this, and he, he gives the quote, what Jesus read in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings, and by the way, good tidings, the gospel, okay, unto the meek, he that sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He says, this day is this fulfilled. But I want you to notice there's not a period in this text. There was a period in his text, okay? Because then it has comma, by the way, if you will, the story goes on. And the Bible says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Has that happened? The answer to that question is no. I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, trick anybody. No, it hasn't happened, but it immediately follows that which he says has already been fulfilled. You all see that? Then notice the next thing. It's interesting. He talks about vengeance, and then he talks about comfort. In verse 2, he says, to comfort all that mourn. Vengeance? To comfort all that mourn? What? Well, if you will, I'm going to lay this out for you real easy. If you will, verse 1 and first part of verse 2, that's his first coming. He came to preach the gospel, to, to minister to the poor, to encourage people, if you will. You all understand that? And that's what Jesus did in his first coming, amen? But folks, when he comes again, he's not coming with the good news. He's coming with the bad news. He's coming with the sword, folks. Amen, is he not? And he's coming to defeat the armies. He's coming to defeat the Antichrist. He's coming to defeat the unbelievers, amen? And the Bible says it's vengeance, amen? That, that word is zeal, passion, if you will. He, he's going to take and destroy his enemies, amen? Even so, you guys read it, you know this. He's going to cast Satan into bond, hell, chains, whatever, uh, for a thousand years, right? Amen. How many of y'all think that'll bring comfort to the earth? Yeah, because see, the third part there is the millennium, all right? And so, if you will, the first part of, of verse 2 is his first coming. The second part of verse 2 is the tribulation, <clears throat> when a lot of this is fulfilled. 
And then uh, the third part is, of course, the millennium, all right? And so it's all the comings of Jesus Christ, all the comings and the reignings and the fulfilling of who he wants to be and who he is. Here, here's my whole point. If you only knew the Old Testament, when would you stop reading? You got my point? Listen to me. If you only read the Old Testament, when would you stop reading? Except God shows us, we wouldn't know to stop at the end of verse 1. We would keep reading. All right, you all understand that? And what I've found in, in my studies, and, and I'll give you some of the addresses that we've been looking at. We've been looking at the book of Joel. I hope you went and, and read Joel chapter 3. And if you haven't, let me encourage you, go back and read it. It's really good. I, I read Zephaniah this, this, this week. I read Zechariah this week. And I will tell you this, Zechariah chapter 12. If you want to read, if you want to write a note down, read Zechariah chapter 12. It, it talks about a lot what we're going to be looking at this week. Now... Go, if you will, to our text in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And I will tell you this, <clears throat> there's an awful lot of information in here, okay? And to be quite honest with you, there's some things in here that give you trouble because you're like, well, that can't happen at this time because of this, and it can't happen because of that time because of that. Uh, talk to me for just a second here. What do you think, how many of y'all are familiar at least a little bit with Ezekiel 38 and 39? Anybody? What do you think it's about? I'm not trying to trick anybody, just asking. Okay, good. It, it, if you don't know, you don't know, that, and that's fine. You know what Israel thinks it's about? Israel thinks it's about the coming of their Messiah. And the reason I'm telling you that is this, is I, I pulled this off of here. And uh, I got a couple articles here, just because we're, you know, part of this is because of what we're living through right now. And uh, this article right here is entitled, Did the Hamas Attack Signal the Beginning of Gog and Magog? Okay? Folks, I'm not the only one thinking this stuff. This, this was a news article that I read today. Okay, I'm just telling you, I've been studying this thing for weeks. But my whole point is this, is Israel is saying, is this the battle of Gog and Magog? All right. Well, that's what is described in Ezekiel chapter 38, okay? Because after they come together as a nation, of course, what is the devil going to do? The devil's going to want to do all he can is to stomp out life. What did he do when Jesus was born? Kill all the babies. Y'all understand that? And so when Israel becomes a nation, immediately he wants to destroy it, he wants to kill it. And uh, people are taking and, and saying, well, is this the fulfillment of that? Well, let's talk about it for a second. Uh, look what it says. It says, uh, son of, in verse 2, it says, Son of man, set thy face against Gog. Okay. And then it says the land of Magog. So, if you will, that's where he's from. All right. Anybody know where Magog is? If you do, write a book because nobody else knows either. <laughs> now, a lot of people guess. Matter of fact, a lot of people today think it's probably Turkey, and I, I probably would be one thinking that, but it really doesn't fit the facts of what's going on today. Can it, it, puzzle pieces are a lot easier when they're obvious. Okay, you all understand? And so I don't know who it is, but I know this. The Bible says, land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Ooh, you guys ever heard that preached? And so what do people say that is? Think about it. Russia. Russia and Germany, okay? Meshach and Tubal. Meshach is Moscow, and Tubal is Toblansk. And to be honest with you, all of that is bad scholarship. Bad scholarship, 
okay? Many of you have been taught that, all right? I possibly have preached that. I'll, I'll just tell you that, all right? But I will tell you this, um, is, is those cities are not related to the cities that they, they just sound alike. Meshach and Tubal, okay? Well, those are Russian cities, so it must be Russia. Well, Meshach and Tubal. Uh, here's what you're going to notice. Notice it's going to give us some more nations here in a second. I'll ask you where they are, okay? But keep reading with me. The Bible says, I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Let me just stop there for a second. Who's, what does he say? He says, who does he say is going to turn them back? Verse 4. Get a hold of this, folks. Everything going on in the Middle East right now, God is 100% in control of. 100%. And when he talks about putting a hook in a jaw, it's the same thing he did to uh, Manasseh. It's just, you're going to do what I told you. Okay? It's kind of like putting a hook in the nose, you're going to follow. Okay? And so he's, he's basically saying this, uh, if you're of a mind to destroy Israel, then I'm going to be in charge when you try to take an attack. Okay? Well, that's God's in charge of all this. How many of y'all... Just take a little bit of comfort knowing God's in charge over there. Amen. And should we still pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Absolutely. Should we pray for our nation not to abandon Israel? Absolutely. Should, should we take and maybe if, 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 if we're burdened to take and do something to help? Absolutely. Okay. But know this. God's in control of all that. Who thinks he's in control? Satan. <laughs> the devil thinks, hey, I got him now. And by the way, how many times does he have to fall for that? <laughs> I got him on the cross. All right. Watch what he does. <laughs> oh, no, that didn't work. Okay. And so the whole point is the devil thinks he's winning. And maybe his followers think they're victorious. But they need to remember God told from antiquity, this is what's going to happen in the last days. Amen. Go with me, if you will. And I'll have you notice something here. This is a historical parallel, but that's the only way we can understand these things. Go to Isaiah, would you? Isaiah chapter uh, 10. Um, yeah. Isaiah chapter 10. And uh, look at, uh, let's start in verse 5. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, the Bible says, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. Okay? And so what he's saying here is this. He says, uh, the Assyrian, I'm going to let you defeat Israel, the northern ten tribes. Y'all with me? When, did he do that? Come on, you guys remember that? Um, boy, I wish I had a, uh, written this down a little bit. Um, the northern ten tribes fell to the Assyrians. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17, I believe, okay? And go there and read it. But remember what they did? They came in, they defeated, they tore down the cities, and then they exiled everybody, okay? That's how the, the dispersion started, okay? That's how the dispersion started. And so they, they were the greatest force on earth. They were the greatest military on earth. Nobody at that time could defeat them. 
And God said, I'll use you. I'll use you as a tool to take and to chase my children. Israel have turned to Baal and have turned to idols, have stopped obeying me. And I will, I will use you as a rod of my indignation. Listen, I'm going to use you to give them a spanking. But the problem is the Assyrian walked around and said, see how tough we are? Right? Put his chest out, started thumping his chest. Nobody can defeat us. Uh, you forgot something. God's the one in charge. Okay, so much so, look what the Bible says, keep reading down. Uh, the Bible says, I will send him against the hypocritical nation, against the people of my wrath, will I give him a charge uh, to take the spoil and to take a prey and to tread them down like the mire in the streets. And by the way, read a history book, that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. You don't have to read a history book, you read your Bible. It says, how be it, he meaneth not so. See that in verse 7? He, he wasn't there to discipline Israel. He was there to conquer the world, okay? And I will tell you this, that the Assyrian, that was his ambition, that was his goal, that was his drive, that was his desire, that was his plan, and he thought he was well able to do it. He only forgot that the only reason he could do it is because God let him, okay? Keep reading. The Bible says this, it says, uh, it says for, he, uh, for he saith, are not my princes altogether kings? He's saying, we're better than them, Okay? He says, is not Calno as, as Carchemish? He's talking about how their cities are better than, than the, the cities that they've defeated. He says, at verse 10, he says, as my, as my hand hath found the kingdom of the idols in whose graven images did excel Jerusalem and Samaria, meaning our gods are greater than the God of Israel. Oh boy, that was a stupid thing to say. Amen. And he says, shall not I, as I have done unto Samaria and to her idols, do so to Jerusalem and her idols? You know what he said? God used me to discipline Israel, but now I'm going to go take Judah. Remember that story? There's a king named Hezekiah. Come on now, amen. And uh, they came, and Rabshakeh came to the wall, and he says, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this. And Hezekiah says, don't answer him a word. And he said, he, said, he went to his prayer closet, and he said, God, did you hear what he said? Amen. And God said, don't worry about it. He's not going to shoot one arrow into this city. Please get a hold of this. Why? Because God's in charge. Folks, I've got to tell you, and I'd encourage us to know, even in the most desperate of times, God's in charge. God's in charge. And by the way, they didn't shoot one, Israel, one arrow into Jerusalem. And 185,000 of their soldiers died in one night. Because an angel went through the camp and killed them all. By the way, if God says you're not going to win, don't double down. <laughs> and you know what happens when you lose 185,000 soldiers? Your neighbor says, I think we can take them. And that's exactly what Babylon did when Babylon and the nation of Elam, which eventually became Persia, uh, the Elamites and the Babylonians attacked uh, Nineveh and they destroyed them. Why? Because uh, what verse is it? Look down to verse 15. He did all this because of his pride and didn't realize he was an instrument of God. In verse 15, the Bible says, Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it, as if the rod should shake itself? He said, he said listen, you're just the axe. I'm the hand that wields it. Y'all understand? By the way, up here it says, in his heart, he didn't mean to do all this, okay? Meaning what? It wasn't his intention to be an instrument of God, but he was an instrument of God. Y'all understand that? And folks, 
he went home and he was defeated. He was destroyed. Uh, boy, I'm sorry. I just my mind is full and uh, think about this. You remember God sent a prophet to Nineveh. Who was he? Jonah. Yeah, he did. But 130 years later, he sent somebody else. He sent Nahum. And Nahum said, you had your chance. You're done. And read the book of Nahum. That's the, he's, he's condemning Assyria, if you will. And you know what they did the first time? They fell on their faces and they repented. The second time they said, who is God that we should obey him? By the way, folks, that is a recurring theme in the Bible. Okay? And, and God says, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to destroy you so bad that people aren't going to realize you existed as a nation. Now, folks, I want you to know, until I believe it was 1850, it might have been a little bit before that, people thought that the Ninevites and the city of Nineveh was mythology. Why? Because it had been so destroyed from the face of the earth that they said, ah, oh, that's just a story in the Bible. Uh, I, I hate to keep saying, by the way, but we knew it wasn't just a story. I'm sorry, my mind's full. Hey, I, I've, been, I've been telling you guys um, not to use the word story. Researched it a little bit. Anybody know what the root word for story is? What did you say? History. <laughs> I'm sorry. Call them stories, I don't care. Because <laughs> it's History. It's history. And when God says something's going to happen, it happens. And when God takes and uses you as an instrument of his wrath, rather than being bold about it, maybe you should fall on your face and say, well, this could happen to us. We're more wicked than they. Amen. And the first time Nineveh repented and they were spared for 130 years, 140 years. And, uh, and then Nahum came and said, you didn't listen. You're going to be destroyed this time. You know what? I believe this with all my heart. The reason that God spared him the first time is because the king rent his clothes, sat in sackcloth and ashes, and said, who knows, but maybe God will grant us great. You know what? If he did it once, I think he'd do it again. The only problem is pride of his heart. He said, ah, I'm, the, I'm the axe. And God says, I'm the one wielding the axe. Okay, get a hold of that. Um, if you will. And so, if you will, that's the same thing with the Assyrian. Uh, by the way, the Assyrian right here in this portion of Scripture is a type of the Antichrist, but we'll, we'll look at that at another time. Go back, if you will, now to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. You say you're preaching on a Gog and Magog and you're running out of time. Yeah, I am. But, folks, I'm hopefully giving you the tools to take and to go and see some of these things for yourself. And, and if the Lord wills, we'll, we'll look at it again. But notice Revelation chapter 20 and verse 7. I've got to ask you a question. When does the battle of Gog take place? At the end of the thousand. We know that for a fact because we're about to look at that right now, okay? But there's something different about that one. You know why? Let me give you a piece of evidence, and we'll look at it if we get there, but either go back and either trust me or go back and see it for yourself. But one of the things that's going to happen at the end of the Battle of Gog, I'm just going to say Gog, okay, is uh, 
The Bible says that they are not going to burn wood because they're going to burn the implements of war for how long? They may know? Seven years. And so, if you will, they're going to take and they're going to go to the implements of war and they're going to burn them for seven years. They're going to take close to nine months to bury the bones from the battlefield. Y'all with me? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 20, okay? And look at verse 7. Keep turning too far. Excuse me here. Revelation 20. Verse 7, the Bible says, And shall go out to deceive the nations. Let's talk about Satan being loosed. And by the way, he's, he's equated with Gog here. And I would just say this, Gog in, in Ezekiel 37 and 30, 38 and 39 is, uh, would be the Antichrist. Some of you all know this, but the Antichrist is ultimately um, possessed by the devil, okay, at the very end, all right? And so if you will... Uh, all those things take and flow. But again, in verse 7, the Bible says, uh, uh, 20 verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Why? Well, after a thousand years of having babies, there's a lot of people on earth. You all with me? The Bible says, and they went up to the breath of the earth and encompassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone. Let me stop for a second here. Is there going to be burning of any implements for seven years after that happens? No. That is the difficulty of the battle of Gog and Magog. Okay? What is Israel looking for? As they're saying, hey, the battle of Gog. It's getting ready to happen, okay? What are they looking for? All you got to do is read the article. They're looking for their Messiah. Well, folks, there's a problem with that, amen? Their Messiah's already been here. So the problem is, is, is and this all gets into more difficulty with prophecy, and, and I don't want to get into the difficulty. I just want to try to stay single-focused tonight. But if you will, when these things start happening, they're going to get to the point that the United States can't deliver them. Their own leaders can't deliver them. The army is going to look too, amen? And they are going to cry out for deliverance. The only problem is initially they're going to try the Antichrist until they finally realize that Jesus is their Christ. You all understand? My whole point is this, is it's, it's, we started all this by saying there's dual fulfillment in prophecy. Remember it, that one verse we looked at, this is fulfilled here, this is fulfilled here, this is fulfilled here. One text, three different fulfillments, okay? And so sometimes it's hard, well, when do these things take place? I will tell you this, and this is my personal opinion. Early on, I always believed the Battle of Gog, okay, took place to bring in the tribulation, all right? But then you study it a little bit, and you say, no, it has to be the Battle of Armageddon, okay? Now, having said that, I'm pretty much of the opinion that this is the Battle of Armageddon. But can you understand that people, when they look at the signs and the seasons, they say, it's got to be this. Why? Well, it's because it's shaping up exactly like God said it was going to. 
Amen? And the sad truth is, is we need to realize God is in charge of all of this. Okay? Now, I wrote this text down, and I'm not sure if this is the right one, so you'll forgive me, please. But go to Zechariah chapter 12. I, I pray this is the right one. Zechariah chapter 12, the next to last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12, look at verse 3. For sake of time, we'll just kind of skip into it. And the Bible says, In that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for, what's the Bible say? All people. Can I ask you this? Is, is uh, Jerusalem, is Israel a burden, burdensome stone for all the world right now? Folks, you've got to realize Jerusalem's a powder keg, and they are scared to death in this article if the battle lasts more than 22 days, because that's the longest one of these Palestinian uprisings has lasted, okay? If it lasts more than 22 days, they're worried that the rest of the world's going to jump into the battle. The United States, Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, okay? You're just looking at a major world war here, okay? And, folks, it's real easy for us to not care because we're just so far away from it. But, folks, we need to realize these are the last times. Even if this is not a fulfillment of these scriptures, these are the last times. What does God have to do to get our attention? Amen. The Bible says, uh, did I read verse 3? Yeah, okay. It says, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. And that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse, the people with blindness. By the way, if you're familiar <laughs> with the, uh, what was the first one? Help me, brother. The Six-Day War, where they came up through the, through the Sinai. Okay, I said that right? I said that right. Folks, read that again and think about what happened where the tanks that were coming to attack and would have easily conquered Jerusalem, the treads fell off of the tanks. God says, <laughs> come on, I'm sorry. Go back and read it for yourself. He's, he's just saying, I'm going to confound you, man. Don't surround my city. Why? Because I am fully in control of this thing. God will use them as an instrument and still be in control of the whole thing. Amen. The Bible says, uh, skip down, I, I'm, I'm running out of time. Go to verse 9. Verse 9 is the key. It says, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Folks, we're on the winning team. Jerusalem's on the winning team too. Praise God for that. Amen. And then look at verse 10. The Bible says this. It says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in the bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem. In the morning of Hadarimon in the valley of Megiddo. And folks... Wednesday night I taught on the valleys. That valley, the valley of Armageddon. Megiddo, you, get, you see it? Folks, get a hold of this. What is the purpose of these battles ultimately? We've been looking at it on Sunday morning. What is the purpose for the ten plagues? You're going to know that there's only one God. What is the purpose of the fulfillment of all these battles and all these 
contests and everything, and, and the devil thinks he's going to win, and then the, and then the Lord just squashes it. <laughs> Amen. Now, that's not to say there's going to be some hard times, because there are going to be some hard times. By the way, man, please forgive me. Like I said, my, my heart and my mind is full. Israel really believes this is a fulfillment of Scripture because all the attacks took place on October the 7th. Folks, it was supposed to take place the day before, okay? They, they didn't do it for some reason, I can't remember, but they were trying to tie it to the Feast of Succoth. We call it Tabernacles. And by the way, Tabernacles is their last day's celebration on earth. Uh, folks, they went and they attacked people who were celebrating a time of even Lord come quickly. And that's when the enemy decided to attack. Folks, there are no accidents. They know what's going on. People's eyes are open. And yet... There's still a whole bunch of people that don't get the purpose for all these things. And what was the purpose? Look at that verse again. They looked on him whom they had pierced. And the whole purpose was for them to lament and cry. Look at the, the response. Oh, no, we killed our Messiah. We, we didn't receive him. We, we destroyed him. We're getting what we deserve. And the whole idea was that they might repent and receive him. And folks, we, uh, we look at this a lot, but it's going to get ugly, terrible, bad. Amen. But it tells us right there in that verse of scripture what God's purpose is. They're going to look on him whom they had pierced. And they're not going to say, well, we're getting what we deserve. They're going to cry out for mercy. And would to God people would be saved. Folks, I, I don't know about you, but I, I remember when I, when I was in the workforce, I'm kind of different now. I mean, I still work. But you'd talk around the water cooler, wouldn't you? Hey, have you followed what's going on in Israel there? And by the way, none of us are experts. Did you all get that from what I just taught tonight? <laughs> we really don't know exactly what's going on, and I've only touched what we need to look at to, to say that we know what we're talking about. But we certainly could go to that verse and say, you know what? I know what the purpose for this whole thing is. What? It's so that Israel might cry out to receive their Messiah. And folks, when they do that, he's coming. Amen? Uh, I, I would just tell you this. I'll, I'll ask one more rhetorical question. I'll be done. How many of y'all think our days are short? Listen, it's being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. And God is literally saying, I'm doing this so that you might call out to me. I'm in charge of the whole thing. Amen. And I can take and I can deliver. I can save. I will still show mercy. Amen. And would to God. Uh, let me encourage you. Go back and study some of these things. We didn't even get to 37 and 38. But let me encourage 38 and 39. I always say that. 38 and 39. Let me encourage you. Go back and read those for yourself. And uh, Lord willing, maybe we'll take, and take that up again another time. Let's all stand if you would. Let's all stand. I will tell you this, and it kind of went with this morning's message, but uh, 
God's all about people getting saved. Amen. You know, sometimes when things like this happen, all people want to talk about is politics. Would to God, maybe we could talk about their souls. <coughs> Say, hey, this is coming down just like God said it was going to. I'm not an expert, but, I mean, you can read it for yourself. Maybe you got somebody you want to come pray for. Why don't you, why don't you come as we sing? We're going to sing number 326. 326. <laughs>